Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. And this project is for us together to work through the whole Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Therefore, making the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of our daily lives and believing that that will transform our lives. You're very welcome whether you're here for the very first time or you've been with us from the very beginning. If you are here for the very first time, you can subscribe to this podcast and make sure you never miss another single episode by simply clicking on the subscribe button wherever it is you're getting your podcasts from. Please do hang around at the end of today's teaching and I'll give you lots more information and other ways you can connect with this ministry and receive lots of other free Bible teaching resources. But with that said, we'll go back in today's main message and pick up where we left off last time. Bye for now. Okay, people, today we're going to be covering just three short verses, Matthew chapter 19, verses 13 to 15, and we're going to look at this very famous passage and what this situation where Jesus calls the children to him, what it can teach us, and what, in fact, children themselves can teach us. Now, as we all know, one of the primary jobs of us as adults is to teach children. Any parent knows that. But it's not always the way it works, because sometimes children teach us. In the life of Christ, there was an incident in which he had children brought to him, and he used that time and that situation to teach some spiritual truths. What I want to do today is think about what children can actually teach us, or how to be more specific, how Jesus used these children and their attitude to illustrate the truths that he wanted to teach us, to show what we could learn from them. So with that in mind, turn with me and I'll read for you the short description of this event. It's only three verses, so I'm going to read to you from verses 13 to 15. So the little children are brought to him and he puts his hands on them and prays. But the disciples rebuke him. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them, which probably, by the way, means he verbally blessed them and prayed for them, and then he departed from here. So just a very short little story, but pregnant, full of meaning. Now, these events happen just as Jesus has turned around and now made the decision to head towards Jerusalem. And along the way, we will see him meet different people. He will meet religious leaders. He will meet a rich young ruler. That will actually happen in just a moment in our next episode. But he will also meet political leaders. But here initially, this first occasion on this journey, the first people he meets are parents who want to bring their children to him. So the storyline is very simple here. They bring their children and the disciples reprimand them for doing that. And then Jesus say, no, it's okay. Bring the children to me. So this short three verse story naturally falls into three individual parts with three individual things going on in each one of those verses. But it seems to me that these parts, they each have a different spiritual lesson that we can learn from. 
particularly in the way Matthew uses Jesus' words to illustrate these three spiritual truths. For example, the first thing that happens in verse 13 is that it says that the little children were brought to him. So this is the phase of the story where we see these parents that they're actually bringing their children to Jesus. Now let me make a couple of comments about this first before we do a deep dive. First of all, it says he brought little children. Now, that's the way it's translated in Matthew, and he uses a particular Greek word that just refers to small children. So it's hard to really put an age group on these children. However, when Luke records the same story, he uses slightly different words, ones which are better translated as infants. So what this tells us is they bring very young children to him and they want him. They do it so that he might lay hands on them and bless them and pray for them. So these parents, they recognize the need or or the importance of having Jesus bless them and lay hands on them and pray for them. And before I comment on that specifically, let's just back off a second and remember what's happened already in this chapter what we've looked at over the last couple of days, in fact. You'll recall, if you've been with us all along, that what we've looked at so far in this chapter is the subject of marriage and divorce. It's rather fascinating that the way Matthew chooses to arrange the material, that first he talks about marriage, when the Pharisees come and challenge him about it, then he talks about divorce, and then immediately after that we have the situation with the children, which he uses as an opportunity to teach about children. So there is definitely a somewhat unified theme here of family, having talked about marriage, divorce and children. Now some commentators have observed that perhaps he inserts the children here and does everything in this order. In other words, he talks about children right after talking about divorce for the simple reason that he wants to implant that thought that divorce has a very negative effect on children. And that's one of the points that he's trying to make. But be that as it may, what the text does clearly say is they brought their children to Jesus so that he could bless them and pray for them. Now, what do we make of that? Well, let me make the rather simple, straightforward observation that these parents were wanting Jesus to bless and pray for their children. And I don't think it's too big a leap to make to say that that suggests to me that the very simple spiritual lesson here is that we should all pray for our children and for children in general, any child that comes within our spiritual orbit. Now, I don't think I really have to tell any parents listening, you can't have children for very long without being driven to your knees in prayer at times, maybe at times when a child has an accident or when they're older, when they challenge us through some of the choices they make. The idea of parents praying for children, Christian parents praying for children, it just sort of naturally happens. It's something you don't usually have to tell people to do. It's something parents are usually driven to do. But also not just parents, as churches and individuals, I believe that we should also be praying for children. Children really need our prayer. And you know what? The worse society gets and the more difficult challenges they face, the more and more that is becoming true. So firstly, it teaches that we should bless and pray for children. Now there's a second truth here, because when these parents brought these children to Jesus, the text of all things tells us the disciples decided to rebuke them and try and tell them to go away, send them away. 
Now you might struggle to imagine why the disciples would do that. Why don't they want these people to bring children to Jesus? It seems incredible in some respects. But actually, if you think about it, that's not the first time this sort of thing has happened. If you remember, as we've gone through the Gospel of Matthew, when we got to chapter 14, there were people, a multitude in fact, who were hungry, and the disciples wanted to send them all away also. We don't have enough food to feed them, they said. But Jesus said, no, don't send them away, sit them down. And then, of course, he fed them, miraculously. 5,000 of them, it says, at least. Then there's another incident in chapter 15 where a Canaanite lady comes and she wants Jesus to heal her daughter. And again the disciples try to send her away and yet Jesus still responds and answers her prayer. So this is nothing new here. But why would the disciples do that? Why would they want to send away people from Jesus, including children? Well, the clearest suggestion is that's most often given is, is that in a sense they just wanted to protect Jesus. They were acting like bodyguards. Perhaps they'd been with him and seen him teaching all day and going around healing people for hours and hours and they thought, oh, he's tired. And children were very much considered an interference in those days and they simply wanted to try and protect him. But Jesus' response is to say, no, let the children come. Do not forbid them. For such is the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus rebukes the disciples for blocking the children. And by doing that, I'm suggesting that he does that because he has compassion on them. The parents wanted them to come. So he simply has compassion on the children, as well as the parents, you might say. And he says, let them come unto me. What is significant about that, and it's really critical in this day and age, to understand that children then were not considered important in any ways. Children tend to be the centre of family life today. It certainly wasn't the case in the times of Jesus. This was an age where children were regarded as insignificant and unimportant. One Bible commentator I read, and it resonates strongly with me, suggests that Jesus here is reversing the conventional order of the day by accepting those as important that most people of that day considered unimportant, i.e. children, who were considered at that time just a nuisance and an interference to adult activities. So think about how that might apply today, and who are those people that society considers unimportant and just a nuisance and an interference to the smooth running of everyday life. But Jesus here, with these children, he says, No, let them come to me. So again, Jesus is demonstrating compassion on those who were considered by many to be unacceptable. He didn't consider them a burden or a nuisance or an interference. He simply said, let them come on to me. Now, as we've worked through this gospel account together, we have repeatedly seen Jesus do that. We have seen that no one was unimportant to him. No one was ever a nuisance. No one was ever beyond the pale, so to speak, no matter how much so they were rejected by society. With the le- people with leprosy representing the highest example of that type of teaching. Jesus was never really too tired or too busy to give all of himself to anyone who genuinely needed it. Isn't there a real difference between Jesus then and many of the famous people today, even politicians, celebrities? It's often next to impossible to get into the presence of these famous people. They have all kind of security and bodyguards whose job is solely to keep the public away. 
However, the presence of Jesus here demonstrates that he was always open to even the humblest of people, and in this situation, the youngest of children. A preacher that lived in the 4th century, named John Chrysostom, said in responding to this passage, and I quote, Mercy imitates God and disappoints Satan. So by doing and behaving in this way, we are not only imitating God, imitating Jesus, but we're disappointing and frustrating, I would say, the plans of Satan. And that's what Jesus does here. And I suggest that's what we do when we care for those that no one else cares for. There are people who are different to us, but we can always be compassionate. We can always show a little mercy towards everyone. I think that there are people that society, or even perhaps we, if we're honest, with our own prejudices, view as unimportant or insignificant. But these are the very kinds of people that Jesus reached out to here, and by proxy tells me that that's who I should be reaching out to as well. This, you see, cuts across all the barriers, whether it be of race or economic barriers, social barriers, educational barriers even. We all have a tendency to judge people. However, Jesus, in his example, did not do that, never did that. Jesus was compassionate towards all kinds of people all of the time. I submit to you that there are two things that this incident teaches us, and it should also teach us that we need to be tender-hearted merciful, compassionate to people, and most importantly, even those that we or society deem an irritation or unimportant. So in this three-verse passage, I think the Lord is teaching us three things. One, that children need our prayer, and two, that we need to demonstrate compassion on other people, particularly those people in society that are deemed unimportant. But there's a third thing taught here, and it's revealed in the last verse, where Jesus says, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for such is the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus uses these children to make another vitally important spiritual point. By the way, he does this sort of thing all the time. He makes a spiritual point out of what is actually going on around him at that moment. Walking through the countryside, he sees a bush and a tree, and we see him, let me tell you about the fig tree, or let me tell you about the vine, or he's walking through a farmer's field, and he says, see that farmer over there, and he teaches using that as an illustration. I mean, Jesus saw spiritual truths everywhere he went. He saw everything as if it illustrated a spiritual truth, or he used it to illustrate a spiritual truth. And you know what, I think that's what the most spiritually minded people I've known over the years are those who can do that, who those who can take the word of God and apply it into the everyday situations that we face. And it's what really, as preachers, I certainly do and I believe what we should be trying to do. But it can be done just as we make our way through everyday life. You see, no matter what happens around us, there is always something in it that can illustrate a spiritual truth. So Jesus, what does he do here? He says, no, bring these children, bring them to me, because what they're demonstrating is what it is like in order to gain access into the kingdom of God, into the presence of God even. As a matter of fact, in Luke's version of that, he actually flat out says, if you aren't like a little child, like one of these little children, then you're not going to get into the kingdom of God. 
So the question then becomes, what is it about these little children that illustrates what we need to do and be in order to enter the kingdom of God? And the answer is simply that they are to trust in Jesus just like they did. So what in the world does that type of faith, that type of trust look like? Well, I can tell you what it's not like, friends. A lot of people think that faith is illogical and believing in something that's a myth or something that's impossible. Mark Twain in his book Huckleberry Finn had one of his characters say that faith is believing what you know ain't true. And that's what I think a lot of people think today faith is. But real faith, biblical faith, Christian faith is in fact the exact opposite of that. Faith is nothing more than trusting in someone a person and trusting in them because you know their character and you know God and you know his character when you know the character of Jesus. Let me give you an illustration. I've seen it many times and I think it's a perfect picture of faith. Imagine a father teaching his child how to swim. So he goes to the edge of the swimming pool and he gets the little one to stand on the edge of the pool and the father will hold out his arms and say jump. And what the little one usually does is they jump because they have a childlike faith. It's not an irrational, it's not an impossible thing. They would never try and jump in the pool on their own. It's not believing something that you have rational evidence of. It's the child understanding that the father wants what's best for them and they know they can trust him and they can throw themselves upon him. And isn't that the most natural thing that occurs between a parent and a child in a swimming pool? And all this is a picture, a perfect picture, I believe, of that is what it takes to enter the kingdom of God. A simple childlike faith. Something that trusts in Jesus Christ for the gift of eternal life. Period. That's it. We live in a day where Christians, I feel, are particularly muddling this message. They want to make it something more complicated than that. They want to add all kinds of extras to this thing called faith. But you know what? It's really simple. Some religious people want to make it so much more complex than it is. So they lay on all kinds of rules on people and things they have to do in order to get to heaven. But this passage teaches that the truth of the matter is that it is simple and we ought to keep it simple by simply having a childlike faith in our Father. Another story which would illustrate this with another level of insight is there's the story of a family whose house caught fire and the young child in that family could only escape by exiting the window onto the roof of the house and the family ended up outside by which time the whole place was developed in smoke and fire and the father looked up and said to the son jump I'll catch you but the boy in the roof said my eyes are blinded with the smoke I can't see you daddy and the father said son still you must jump because I can see you and I will catch you do you understand that friends What Jesus is teaching here is that in a sense we too have to jump and we have to have that childlike faith to do it. That's what I believe this passage is teaching. That's what I believe Jesus is teaching. So in summary, this is just a little story, a couple of verses in which Jesus encounters these children. But in that, he teaches us to pray for children, 
which is really important. Secondly, to be compassionate towards children, but also all other unimportant people, particularly those people considered unimportant, I should say, by today's society and by today's standards. And thirdly, that we ourselves must have a childlike faith. You see, God wants to catch you. He wants to save you. He wants to take hold and bless you. And God welcomes us just like Jesus welcomed these children because he wants to do that and to bless us. Do not ever doubt, friends, that God wants to save you and that God wants to welcome you into his arms of embrace and that God wants to bless you when he draws you close. That's what this passage is all about. But you know what? God also wants us as believers to do that for other people. If we've truly learned what it means about being childlike in this passage in this way, then surely we ought to turn around and do that and offer that to other people. By showing a little compassion to others, we actually can be used to bless others. And that, as believers, is absolutely what we ought to be doing. Okay, friends, that's it for today. I do hope you find that helpful. We'll pick up the text tomorrow when we're looking at the situation where Jesus gives some advice to a rich, young ruler, someone who has political power and authority. So as I said at the beginning, if you're here for the first time, then make sure you subscribe, and that way you can make the decision to make the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of your daily life. And if you are here for the first time, you can consider, if you wish, going right back to the beginning. We're nearly up to episode 500 now, and just follow along at the pace that suits you. Well, that's open to everyone, whether you're here for the first time or you're always here. Do this at the pace that suits you. I'm uploading new episodes every week, five a week, Monday to Friday. But you can do this whatever pace is best for you. Now, there are lots of free resources available to you here. Not just a transcript, which I put on every day for each and every podcast episode, which you can access or download. But there are also ways in which you can connect to other free Bible teaching resources. Places like YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn and Patreon. Everything I do is always absolutely free, freely available and copyright free in the public domain for you to use in whatever way you want. Now very soon on the on my Patreon page, which is the place where people connect and can support financially, but it's also open to anyone and everyone to access the materials there just by viewing on Patreon. My plan is now to put all my previous books in the public domain as free PDF files. There's about five or six that I've published over the years. I just feel that the way the world's going and the way the internet is working, that I'm very keen that everything I do should be freely available in a way that people can access it at no cost. Now, the podcast itself is hosted on the Buzzsprout website, which is thebibleproject.buzzsprout.com. 
and that's the main place and that's a place where you will always find active links to all those free resources if you're receiving your podcast from one of the main big podcast platforms that's absolutely fine but you may not see their active links that will open up when you click on them to websites outside of the platform so if you're not seeing it where you get your podcasts from by all means carry on listening there and subscribing through that method if that's the way you like to access the sort of the world of podcasts but you will i assuredly be able to see every aspect of the ministry through the buzzsproutwebsite.com Anyway, with that all said, the main thing is I want to thank you all for encouraging me that so many thousands of you have made the decision to make the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of your daily life and that you've chosen me, Jeremy McCandless, and the Bible Project Daily Podcast as your method of doing that. And I do hope you'll stick with me as we work together and that you'll make the decision to make not just the reading of the Bible, but the actual study of the Bible part of the rhythm of your daily life as well. And with that all said, I'll just say bye-bye for now. And I hope I'll see you back here again tomorrow. Well, it's always tomorrow for me, but it's whatever day it works and suits you as we work together through the Bible on the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Bye-bye now.